are in a series in the book of Mark, and today we're going to look at Mark chapter 13. Uh, we've been journeying along for since the beginning of the year, uh, going through the book of Mark, and we've seen Jesus in action, and Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross. And in Mark chapter 13, Jesus is asked by his disciples about some end time uh, events, and Jesus goes old school prophet on them and starts declaring the things that are going to come and giving them exhortations, his disciples' exhortations, and how they are to respond to the signs, the signs of the end times. I've uh, titled this message, Responding to the Signs. The Bible gives us a number of uh, warnings and a number of signs to prepare us for the things to come. We would do well to not only recognize the signs and realize what they are, but to respond to them. I'm sure we're all guilty driving in passing a speed limit sign going way too fast. Or uh, passing other signs that told us to not do what we were doing. And so we need signs, and signs have a purpose. They point us to something. They prepare us. They help us to have the appropriate action. And Jesus gave these instructions in Mark chapter 13, Matthew 24 as well, and Luke 21 as, as well. He gave these instructions for his disciples to have an appropriate response, not to merely satisfy their curiosity about what the end times are going to be like. And so I've titled this, Responding to the Signs. And so let's look at Mark chapter 13, verse 1. It's up on the screen. Let me pray and we'll, we'll delve in. Father, thank you that you've given us your word as a lamp into our feet. And a light into our path. And as we dig in and as we hear the words of Jesus, may we heed them, may we understand them, and respond appropriately to them. I pray that we would be a people who are awake, alert, watchful, prayerful, and ready for the return of Christ. And if there's any among us who are asleep, Wake them up, wake them out of slumber, that we might be prepared. In Christ's name, we pray, amen. Mark chapter 13, and I'm going to try to um, ambitiously try to cover this whole chapter, at least just give a, a, a brief overview of this chapter and look at several responses and exhortations that Jesus gives uh, within this chapter. I'm not going to get too much into the nitty-gritty details on some parts of this. Starting in verse 1. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite to the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, 
Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of all these things, uh, of all these things are, are, are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place first, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are all the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's our big idea this morning. We're gonna, we'll pick back up on verse 14 here shortly. Our big idea is simply this from this chapter, that the last days will be accompanied by difficult times. The last days will be accompanied by difficult times, and God's people must be alert and watchful to persevere faithfully to the end. Okay? Paul said there will be difficult times, perilous times in the last days. Jesus spoke about these times of the last days. Now, one of the, the, the issues, one of the confusing issues here within this chapter is it seems that Jesus is talking about both a, a mini apocalypse and then the very end. You see, in AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed. And Jesus forewarned that there would be destruction of Jerusalem. And it happened. Jesus wept over that. And he warned, he warned the people that judgment would come. And historically, we see that very thing happen. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. But then, so Jesus gives that lens, but he also gives a further out lens as you read into Mark chapter 13 of the very end of the age that is to come. And so, so there can be some confusion there when we look at that, but, but let me just highlight a couple of reasons, first of all, why we have biblical prophecy like this, okay? Um, I got this from a guy named Tommy Nelson, listened to his teaching several years ago on the book of Daniel, and he pointed out uh, several reasons why we have biblical prophecy. And the first one is to give confidence to the people of God, that as we face difficult times and as we go through hardships that we have confidence knowing that our God is sovereign and nothing catches him by surprise. He sees the end 
from the beginning. Jesus can call the shots. He knows what's going to happen ahead of time. And so this should instill confidence in you and I who believe the word of God, who know the word of God, and who have a personal relationship with God. The book of Daniel chapter 11 says, those who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. Hope. Biblical prophecy is designed to give us hope in the face of despair. Though there are severe warnings and though there are warnings of of difficult times to come and, and severe circumstances to come, biblical prophecy always has hope in it. It's laced with hope. Prophets or those who claim to be prophets and those who speak what's gonna come and they don't have hope in the message have a red flag for those who don't have any hope laced within their message Um, because Jesus had plenty of it in his, even though he gave severe warnings. Warnings, biblical prophecies are designed to warn God's people of danger. Motivation, biblical prophecy is given to motivate God's people to ethical and moral action, okay? One of the things that you see connected with biblical prophecy is God says, this is what's going to happen. These hard times are going to come. Or or these good times are going to come. The connection so often within biblical prophecy is to act by doing what's right. To be prepared and to do the next right thing. Live holy lives, as Peter says. Since you know these things are going to happen, what manner of holiness should you conduct yourselves with? Since the end of all things is at hand, be fervent. Love one another fervently. Be prayerful. And so there's this this call to action, this motivation to act ethically, biblically. Comfort. Biblical prophecy is designed to give us comfort in the face of turmoil. Again, God sees and he knows what's happening. He's not caught off guard. He's not caught by surprise by the things that are coming. Encouragement. It's designed to encourage God's people in the face of discouragement. How many people are overwhelmed with discouragement right now? Depression, discouragement, just weighed down after a really hard year and a half. Okay? Biblical prophecy should give us encouragement. Privilege. To grant God's people insider knowledge for the purpose of serving and leading others. Okay? It's, it's a privilege that, that the Lord would reveal to us the things that are to come. This is something that we see throughout the Bible that God reveals uh, things to those who fear Him. Those who know Him. Those who have a personal relationship with God get this privilege of having some insight into the things that are to come. And lastly, preparation. Biblical prophecy is to prepare God's people for the days to come. So let's look at the setting here in Mark chapter 13. The the disciples, they, they came to the temple with Jesus, and they're looking at the temple, and they are amazed at the stones and the, the wonderful buildings. There, there's a sense of awe by the, by the beautiful uh, um, work that was put into to building this, this glorious 
place for worship. And Jesus tells them that the, the, the temple's going to be destroyed. And remember, it wasn't long before this that Jesus went into the temple and in anger overturned tables of money changers. He was displeased and angered by the corruption that had had filled the temple, a, a place that was designated to be for, for the worship of God, designated to be a house of prayer. It had turned into a den of thieves, as Jesus said. And he was angered by that. And he predicted its destruction. And the disciples, they wanted to know, tell us when these things will be tell us more about this there's there's a curiosity there and i think we all have that even even non-christians have a curiosity uh with biblical prophecy about what 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 do the prophets say or what 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 does the bible predict is going to happen in the end even people who don't know the lord charles spurgeon said that jesus was always practical the most important thing for his disciples was not that they know when these things would be, but that they might be preserved from the peculiar evils of the time, right? A lot of folks want to know exactly when these things will be. How's it all going to play out? Give me the details, okay? And God doesn't give us the details for the purpose of satisfying curiosity that, that in, in leaving us in idleness, and he doesn't give us uh, biblical prophecy to, to cause us to be seized with fear and panic and overwhelmed with anxiety. As we looked at, he, he's given it to give us confidence, comfort, hope, motivation to continue to do the next right thing. Jesus was practical. And as you see throughout the, the chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 13, we see a number of exhortations that Jesus gives, practical expectations, such as stay awake, be on guard, don't be led astray. And so the first one that I want to highlight is Jesus instructs his disciples to resist deception. He says, he says see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And this is always, this has always happened. We've always seen deception from the beginning of creation. We've seen uh, deception through, through the serpent, through Satan. But in the last days, and as we get closer to the return of Christ, there will be an increased amount of deception. As Paul wrote about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 he said the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved so deception misinformation will increase and many will be deceived and thankfully, you and I have truth that grounds us in Scripture, that grounds us, that enables us to combat the deception that the masses are swayed by. Because we belong to Jesus and we know him who claimed to be the truth. 
And those of us who know him can stand and resist deception that is leading many astray. See, we've had folks like, um, like the Jehovah Witnesses who have claimed a number of times to, to, to know when Jesus would return or when the end would be. There, there were several predictions throughout history. They've swung many times at when Jesus is coming back and they've missed. They've struck out. Jesus said in this chapter, no one knows the time or the hour. So biblical prophecy isn't given to us so that we can set dates and get it all figured out and have pride and boast about our knowledge. It's, it's to prepare us. It's to motivate us to live right. Because we don't know the time or the hour when Jesus will return and when the very end will happen. There was a guy several years ago, some of y'all may remember him, Harold Camping, who had a radio program who uh, predicted when the end would come, the end of the world would come, and there were billboards everywhere. And, uh, and I think he had two dates that, that he emphasized. I think he missed one, and then I think he had a second one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I read, read about one, one Christian leader who um, I think sent him an email to, uh, just requested that since the end of the world was coming on that day, if he would just go ahead and transfer all his ministry funds into the other ministry leaders. Uh, I don't think it worked. But nevertheless, it did, the, end, the end did not come. Harold Camping was wrong. Je, the Jehovah Witnesses were wrong. Right, And the whole point of, of these instructions is, isn't to give us the precise moment and time when Jesus is going to come back. The practical application that we need to take away is be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. Be alert. Don't fall asleep. Be awake. Continue to do the next right thing. As we looked at a couple weeks ago, what matters most is that we love God, that we love one another. So just give yourselves to that, loving God and loving one another, doing the next right thing. Resist the, the deception, the deception that folks like, um, who's that guy in Waco? David Koresh, claiming to be the Messiah. There's a recent guy, there's probably more than one, claiming to be Messiah. When Jesus comes back, there's, there's going to be no mistake that it's Jesus, Right? And, and so those, those who have to try to convince everyone that they're the Messiah, they're false. They're, they're heretics. They're leading people astray. When Jesus comes back, we're going to see him. Every eye is going to see him. Every knee is going to bow before him. The next thing that we see in Jesus' instruction is that we are to resist panic. Don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. You know the command, do not be afraid, is in Scripture more than any other command. God has to tell us over and over and over again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. At the beginning of this pandemic that we're in, I wrote a short blog article, and I gave 12 reasons why we should not panic in this pandemic. Because there's a lot of people giving themselves over to anxiety and fear and panic, and it's affecting their health, their mental health, and their physical health. And Jesus said in verse 7, he said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Don't, don't panic. This must take place, but the end is not yet. 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are all the beginnings of the birth pains. And so there will be natural disasters. We'll see an increase of natural disasters. There will be political turmoil. We've seen that. Wars, rumors of wars, clashing, conflict. And, and no doubt we've seen for, for thousands of years, we've seen, we've seen a lot of these things. But as we get closer to the end, we're going to see an increase of it. And we're going to see an increase of fear. Luke says in Luke chapter 21, he said, uh, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and on the earth, distress of the nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Verse 26, people fainting with fear and foreboding what is coming on the world. For the powers of heavens of the heavens will be shaken. There will be an increase of fear. And no doubt we've seen that over this last year and a half. We've seen Fear increase, anxiety increase, and people be seized by it and paralyzed by it. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, saints. He's given us a spirit of power and love and sound mind. And because the Lord is greater than all and he's for us and he's with us, and he knows everything and he knows what's going to happen. He's not caught by surprise. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid. We can have confidence as we face the uncertainty of the days that we live in. Because there are, there are many biblical truths that are certain that we can hold on to. Our God is unchangeable. And though they're shaking, our God's kingdom, our, the kingdom of God is unshakable. And so in the face of an increase of fear, let us resist it. Um, here's, here's some stats here taken from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 and older. 18.1% of the population every year. People with an anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from anxiety disorders. And then there's panic disorders. Affect, PD affects six million adults, uh, 2.7 of the U.S. population. Women are twice as likely to be affected as men. And here's one more stat here. Nearly 8 in 10 adults, that's 78%, say that the coronavirus pan pandemic is a significant source of stress in their lives. And anxiety is, is a response to stress. As stress increases, we have, we have an opportunity to respond either in trust and faith in God and cling to Him or to try to handle all that stress ourselves, to figure it all out in our own mental strength, in our own physical strength, or we can go to someone who is much more stronger and much more wiser than we are and cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. And so 
there's been an increase of stress over the last year and a half. And two in three adults, 67%, say that they've experienced increased stress over the course of the pandemic. And so let's be a people who resist that, who are anxious about nothing, but instead pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6. Here's, here's the, the biblical prescription for anxiety. Do not be anxious. God commands us, don't be anxious about anything, but instead pray about everything. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Instead of trying to figure it all out in, in your own mind, talk to God about it. Pour out your heart to God about it. Thank him for the good things that he has sent your way. Thank him for what he's doing in the midst of the stress. Thank him for his promises. Cling to them. Pray to him. And he promises, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is what we need in the days in which we're living. This is a part of our witness to an anxious and fearful world. While many are seized with panic and anxiety and fear, we can be kept in the peace of God, guarded by the peace of God over our hearts and minds. But what you focus on, where you put your focus and your faith will determine whether you experience that peace or are paralyzed by the panic and the fear that is increasing in the world. Jesus said in verse 8, he said that these are the beginning of birth pains or sorrows, depending on which translation you're reading. The beginning of birth pains, uh, those of you ladies who have had children know that you start having contractions, okay? Uh, when, when, a, when a woman is pregnant, there are signs that a woman is pregnant, right? Uh, she starts feeling different. She starts getting a baby bump. That baby's moving around. There's signs. There's morning sickness uh, for many at the, the beginning of the pregnancy. And then as you get closer to labor and delivery, contractions start happening, okay? The light ones are called Braxton Hicks, right? So you got these light little contractions coming. And then they start getting intense, and there's these, this pain that increases, they're, they're, they're less frequent at first, and they're less intense at first, and they're less consistent at first, all right? But my wife and I went to, uh, went for, before we had our first kid, Carson, we went to a Bradley class, and I wanted to get equipped for, for the process. I wanted to be a good husband and, and be a, a coach my wife through through labor and delivery. So we went through a class where we got equipped to, to know what to expect and to know how to, to walk through that time uh, without panicking, without freaking out. And as David quoted, quoted me earlier, one of those phrases that stuck with me was purposeful pain, right? Those contractions bring pain, but they help the process of moving that child out of the birth canal, it, it, that child coming forth. And so the pain is necessary. It's purposeful pain, and it's a reminder. 
that something really good is going to happen. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. That pain isn't going to be forever. There's going to be relief. And there's going to be joy. And Jesus said that that joy would help us to, to, uh, to be able to forget about the pain. As, as a mom experiences endorphins in, in her body that she has this joy when the baby is born that helps her want to have another baby, right? <laughs> these, these birth pains, Jesus said, these signs, these things that would happen in the world are the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus also said, be on guard for they will deliver you over to the councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness to them. Jesus prepared his people for persecution. He taught that we should expect it. He taught his disciples to expect persecution in the days to come. And that was true in the first century, and that is true in our day as well. The Apostle Paul made a blanket promise in 2 Timothy 3, is it 312? For all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So persecution will come. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. Tribulation and persecution are to be expected. It's inevitable that we will experience that. And, and as followers of Jesus, we will experience that for his namesake. And so verse 12, he says, brother will deliver brother over the death. Father is child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Next, Jesus teaches us that God will help us when we go through those times. He'll help us to advance the mission. Notice what Jesus said in verse 10 and 11 in that context. He said, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Okay, that's, that's our mission, saints, to go preach the gospel and go make disciples of all nations. That's what he's left the church here to do. That's what, that's what he did. He preached the gospel. He made disciples, and he gave his followers the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to carry out that mission, to continue the work until he returns. But know that we're going to face persecution and know that when you and I face persecution, that God's going to be there to help us. He's going to be there to give us the words that we need, the peace that we need, the calm that we need. Back to the the birthing analogy, uh, one of the things that I had to continue uh, that I was coached in and helping my wife with was being calm. Whenever I would see her face tense up, when she wasn't being calm, she's letting the stress of labor and delivery take over, I would put my hands on her cheek to, to remind her, be calm, be calm. It's, it's okay, right? And God is gracious and strong and tender with us through the midst of persecution, the increase of stress that we experience in this broken post-Genesis 3 world, 
And he comforts us with his Holy Spirit tenderly. And he gives us the words to speak. He says, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called by Jesus the comforter or helper. And every true Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. He has sealed us with his spirit and he empowers us. He helps us. He comforts us. He convicts us. And though we walk through dark times, we, we have the presence of God with us via the Holy Spirit. When we do face persecution, just remember that there's going to be a present grace. You might not be going through an intense persecution right now because you're a follower of Jesus. Follower of Jesus. But when you get to that place, be confident that God will meet you with his grace, that he will give you what you need to respond faithfully. Like Stephen, when he was standing before the Sanhedrin in Acts 7, and, and they were stoning him, and he looked up and he saw Jesus, and his face shone like an angel. There was a present grace with Stephen. In that moment, God will be with us. He will carry us through those difficult times. You're, you may not be in them now, so don't freak out about that, that hour that may come for you. Confidence. Have confidence that God will give you the grace and the peace that you need to carry you through. Remember that he will help you to advance his mission. And so let's carry on uh, in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand and let those who are in, in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take out to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human flesh would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Again, God is sovereign over human history. And we can have confidence that he's in control and that he is with us and that he will help his people, the elect, true Christians. Verse 21, and if anyone says to you, look here, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible, the elect. If possible, the elect. Again, the children of God, the people of God have the spirit of God. We have the spirit of truth in us, leading us. And we have the truth of scripture that helps us to resist deception, resist lies. Nevertheless, we must be intentional with that truth. And we must keep in step with the spirit and we must as jesus said in verse 23 here be on guard for i have told you these things beforehand 
There's our preparation. Verse 24, but in those days after the tribulation, okay, this is the, the great tribulation. Now, theologians debate over this, and I, don't, and I don't have time to enter into it, and I didn't prepare to enter in to give my position on my take of the, the tribulation. But I will tell you this, that godly men who study the Bible and have studied the Bible longer than I'm alive uh, disagree on when exactly uh, the tribulation will be and if believers will escape, if, if there will be a rapture before the tribulation or mid-tribulation or post-tribulation. But just so you know my position, I believe that believers will walk through the tribulation. Okay? And I'm not going to try to defend that here today. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn this less, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It, will be, it, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at the midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and, you, and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. If you're falling asleep during the sermon, stay awake. <laughs> so last, last point here is... And this is practical. In light of the things that are taking place and will take place in human history, we are to be alert, to be on guard, to, to be awake spiritually, to not be lulled to sleep through the comforts and the cares of this life, busying ourselves, doing a bunch of activities that have nothing to do with seeking first the kingdom of God. We're to be awake, vigilant, alert, watchful. In Luke 21, 34 and 35, Jesus describes a little bit about, a little bit more what this looks like. Verse 34, he says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. And so we see Jesus calling his people to persevere to the end through being awake, alert, and watchful. And this is what the people of God do. 
they do endure till the end. Jesus said those who endure till the end will be saved. Charles Spurgeon commenting on this said, If this doctrine were not supplemented by another, there would be little good tidings for poor, tempted, tried, and struggling saints in such words as this. Who among us would persevere in running the heavenly race if God did not preserve us from falling and give us persevering grace? We are saved by grace and we are kept by God's grace. But that doesn't mean that we live idle and apathetic. We are still to be intentional. The grace of God that brings salvation to all men, Titus 2 says, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. In this present age, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we live righteous or soberly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope of our Savior. Looking for his return when he comes back. God's grace teaches us to live godly lives. It doesn't lead us to passivity. It leads us to intentionality and perseverance and endurance. And so let me close with some application here. First, fight anxiety by avoiding too much time lingering over grim news articles and reports. No doubt there's going to be lots of media coverage of the things we just read about in Mark chapter 13. And the media feeds on that. They, you know, fearful, alarming articles and reports get, get stats. They, they get numbers. They get, um, they get people watching, right? I mean, you remember, I remember, uh, God bless you. September 11th, 20 years ago, when that hit, I mean, just how those of us who were around, how we were just glued to the TV, like just in shock of what was going on, right, in the world. And, and, and many of us, through this coronavirus, this pandemic, and, and many of the things that have been taking place in the world have been glued to the news, to, to watching the news or reading the news. So we need to have a healthy, we need to have healthy boundaries when it comes to that. If we're going to be kept in peace, we got to meditate, think about what's pure and lovely and praiseworthy and of good report and not meditate on all these terrible reports that we find in the news. We, 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 t I tend to see more bad news in my news feed than good news. I appreciate the refreshing, positive reports uh, that, that do come, come through every once in a while. But we have good news in the Bible. We have hope and encouragement and comfort in the Bible that, that prepares us and helps enable us to face the days that we're living in. Keep alert by being aware of what is happening in the world and in your sphere of influence. So, so I think there can be two common responses to the end time events unfolding and, and, and difficult times coming. We can be glued to anxiously panicking and fretting and thinking about, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What's going to happen? And allow anxiety to take over and be paralyzed by just focusing on the negative that's going on in the world. Or we could just like totally ignore it and just busy ourselves. Don't think about it. 
or as, as many do, get drunk and carouse and be lazy and just numb it, you know, stick your head in the sand. And so there's two common unbiblical responses that we got to push back against. Don't let fear and anxiety and panic take over, but also don't let apathy and indifference and don't, don't allow yourself to be lulled asleep spiritually by the cares of this life and the comforts of this life. And lastly, renew your perspective by being prayerfully immersed in Scripture. Seek God. Get to know God. Get to know His heart. Get to know His Word and allow His Word to renew your mind. Allow His Word to, to, to stir your heart and motivate you towards truth. And lastly, I would add this in here. Don't neglect meeting together with the saints. This is, this is important. This is important. And I know those of you who are watching online would love to be here right now. But over this last year and a half, this, this season of social distancing, we've been reminded of how much we need the body of Christ. We've been reminded of how, how much of a gift community is. That it's the grace of God that we have the, the privilege to, to gather with the people of God and, and experience joy together and have our love stirred, love and good works stirred. In Hebrews chapter 10, there's an exhortation for saints to not neglect the assembling of ourselves together, not neglect meeting together, but exhort one another daily as you see the day approaching, that is the day of Christ's return. In view of the end coming and the intensity of the contractions and the pains, the birth pains and things going on in the world, the increase of fear and panic, the increase of natural disasters and turmoil and, and all the terrible things, the perilous times and deception that we're living in. In light of that, gather with the people of God, worship with the people of God, pray together, encourage one another, say to the faint-hearted, Amongst us, be strong and courageous. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. As Isaiah uh, 35, I believe, says. And so let's be conduits of God's truth and his grace to one another. Let's be encouragers to one another. Father, as you know, this last year and a half, has been difficult for many of us and so many in the world. Sickness, deception, fear, anxiety, loss of life. There's been a numbness and an indifference, a, a callousness that has seemed to, to grow as we see just so much devastation. And Lord, we, we pray that you would guard us from, from our love growing cold. Guard us from spiritual apathy and passivity, from being lulled asleep. 
May we be alert and awake and ready, prepared, watching and praying, lest we enter into temptation. Confident in you, God, that you are in control, that you are great, you are good, and your grace is sufficient for us. And so I just pray now for any brothers and sisters among us and online watching who are fighting fear and anxiety, who feel beat down and worn out. I pray that you would renew their strength as we wait on you. I pray, God, that we would mount up with wings like eagles, that we would Quit flapping in our own strength, trying in our own strength to rise and position ourselves in faith and waiting on you and hoping in you and your promises and pouring our hearts out to you. And as we do, God, I pray that you would lift us up, God, that by your spirit, you would blow the wind of heaven to upgird us and strengthen us to rise up in your strength and to see from your perspective and not let short-sightedness and fear cloud our perspective. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.